I am alive, and I only almost killed one other distiller, so. <laughs> but it was not at all related to the rafting trip. <laughs> oh, no, no, this is, yeah, this is completely different. And if we're going to add all those up, this is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> well, I don't even know what exactly you were doing. We were talking about a little bit with Rob. You should at least listen to the Rob episode, because, I mean, you weren't on it. And, uh, yeah, you might learn something. Yeah. I might actually enjoy it. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> oh, I guess we should do the drop and then I'll tell you where the hell I was. This is the Still Talking Podcast, our reverent industry podcast with Colton Zeno and myself, Brian. And I was not here for like eight days because I was on a Colorado slash Utah river, uh, in the dinosaur national park. Uh, one of our friends in Montana got a permit to float the river and him, some Colorado friends and several distillers, including PT wood, the mayor of Salida, Colorado, and a fellow board member with Colton on the ACSA, along with Courtney McKee, also board member of the ACSA and Colin Keegan also board member of the ACSA. It was a mini board retreat. And if they would have died, it would have been devastating to the ACSA overall. Now I would have taken over. I was going to say, this would have been a fantastic coup for Colton. <laughs> what is that? Chaos is a ladder. You're welcome. <laughs> and then of course, John McKee. So uh, good old Johnny Jeffrey was going to be there, but he had to back out at the last minute. So that was a sad, but it was great. It was basically just eight days on the river. We, BS talked, drank a lot, talked about distilling, talked about the industry. Uh, it was it was a fucking blast. We were basically no service at all, no cell phone service, just out there on the river in a, you know, in the Dinosaur National Park. It was pretty fantastic. We didn't see like vehicles or any signs of humanity except for ourselves and other rafters for days. <laughs> That's what we keep saying, Dinosaur National Park. I know. I did not see any dinosaurs. That was the yeah. one let down of the entire trip. Yeah. And I want to say that was a perfect rendition of John Williams' Jurassic Park <laughs> theme. If anyone <laughs> could have done it justice, it was you. Well, it definitely wasn't us because we don't listen to music. Yeah, right. <laughs> was it like rapids or was it just a casual or is it lazy river? Right. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's half and half, essentially. You know, there's a lot of it that is pretty chill. But you've also got up to class four, which, you know, uh, I won't try and explain it because I, I will butcher it and there's different kinds of classifications. But like a really simplistic version is like ones, twos and threes are kind of like easy rollers. It can get a little iffy, but no big deal. And then once you get up to like kind of threes, and but then fours, it can get a little shadier. And so we had one four that I was rafting on, and that was the one I had Colin Keegan from Santa Fe Spirits on with me. And we're essentially, we were two of the least experienced rafters on that trip. Uh, everyone from PT's group had basically been a river raft rafting guide in their 20s. You know, even the 14-year-olds that were with us had been on way more rapids and way more rafting trips than Colin or I. So we, you had the two least experienced people on this class four rapid. And we're like, yeah, fuck, it'll be great. We'll be fine. And in my defense, we made it through the class four just fine. It was after we got through the uh, class four and uh, I will sum this up. This is what one of the rafting guides told us. Uh, his quote was, Someone once told me that if you get through the class four, don't start sucking each other's dicks yet. It's not over. Uh, and, and essentially, what, that's what, that's but you what guys went immediately <laughs> sucking each other's dicks. Right? <laughs> you know, the second we were through that four pants were down, man. And we were just <laughs> congratulating each other. And of course, basically we hit some threes after that. And I don't see this rock that's under the water. Cause I'm trying to get control of the boat. You know, I've got one of the oars out. We're fine, but I'm just trying to get control. We hit this thing poor Colin goes flying out of the boat. He's holding on for dear life. I've like got him. He says he's okay. I said, okay, great. I'm going to try and get the oars so I can spin him. Cause you want to try. And if someone's out of the boat, you want them to be on, you know, the upstream side, uh, you know, the opposite side of the boat. You don't want them downstream. Cause then they're hitting rocks and things like that. It's easier to get them out. Well, by the time I got the oars in, he had let go. He'd gone under the boat. Luckily he went straight to shore. He was fine. And essentially, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And I am following this other guy and he disappears in this hole. 
of the river, which essentially is these rocks surrounding this spot where you can't quite see in. And it's this huge indent in the river, like a black hole. And I follow him directly in. Luckily, I don't flip the boat. We get through it. We're fine. Colin's alive. But basically from that point on, everyone assumed I was trying to kill the one British guy on the trip. Uh, <laughs> so everyone thought I was a great patriot, but uh, I felt really bad for him. Wait, Colin. I thought he was a native New Mexican. I mean, that is his accent, obviously, his his <laughs> uh, lush New Mexico accent. You're a regular fucking George Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I felt, I felt so bad. And he rightfully gave me sh- shit for the rest of the trip. And I'm pretty sure for the rest of my life, because I felt awful, because he is one of the most delightful humans in the world. And he makes some fantastic moist solvent, so. Moist solvent. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah so that was water. my river rafting trip with other distillers. We all survived, though. But the whole time my adrenaline's jacked because I'm sure that I just killed Colin Keegan. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, no one will ever forgive me because he is the sweetest man. And I was just devastated. So when he was actually upright and not dead or hurt, I was pretty thrilled. And then we drank a lot more. Yeah, and you had a <laughs> raging death boner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went into it with that, man. Wait, so how much was there? Was there a, a, a second raft just for the booze for the trip? Uh, no, how much we, booze do you have to bring to how many people was it? 10? So it was 17 people. Uh, four of those were 14 year olds. So, you know, they obviously so don't drink that much. <laughs> no, they get drunk really easy. No, the children <laughs> did not drink. Let me preface that. They were uh, alcohol mules. <laughs> <laughs> we had, oh God, there were eight rafts for 17 people. If I'm doing my math right. And everyone brought either some beer or spirits. So there was still a shit ton of bottles of whiskey at the end. I bought a 30 pack of Bush Light like a goddamn gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, man, that sounds great. That sounds like a real bonding experience. It was. It was fantastic. And we came up with... So ACSA did the hockey this year. We came up with the competitive game for ACSA's convention next year. So very excited. Courtney will talk more about that. She's the one who really hammered it out, her and John. So I'll let them talk about it on the next podcast they're on. All right. So it's in Portland. So it's like unicycling in a Darth Vader helmet while making. Apparently curling is really big in Portland as well. Right. And they're pushing real hard to legalize uh, magic mushrooms. So I assume that will work its way into it. It's just going to be a hot (laughs) fucking mess. We're going to lose half of our attendees within a day. (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine why you wouldn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) all right so that was my trip uh if you guys have any more questions let me know otherwise i'll get into some news and then i want to hear what the hell you guys did besides talk to rob into the news uh the distilled spirits council of the united states names craft advisory council uh ted huber of starlight distillery is to serve as the chair so the discus for a while has already had their their small advice you know their small spirits advisory council but essentially they're putting a little more weight behind it. They still have, my understanding is they still have zero voting rights. They're just an advisory board, but they're trying to get more craft producers to basically become members of Discus, put in their weight, put in, you know, put in a smaller amount. Obviously they don't have to pay the same in terms of their actual membership, but they're trying to grow it out. So they released a press release and they're talking about that. Ted Huber was sitting on that council for a while. He is leading it up. Uh, and there are quite a few people on it. You've got, you know, Paul Hutko, a few spirits. You've got uh, the aforementioned Colin Keegan. You've got, uh, let's see, Ted Huber, Scott Harris at Catoctin. I believe there's 22 members total. Uh, a lot of these people we already know, some crossover with ACSA and some other groups, but Again, essentially, they're trying to grow this out and have it more a part of their lobbying effort. So that's something worth take? noting. What does it take? You just buy in? Is that all they did? And, then they're, and what does it to, take to, to get on in? the board or to be in part of Discus? Yeah. So they so they got to buy in to be part of Discus. How did they get to be on the board? Who voted for them? My understanding of this is essentially this is a full group of people who have gained membership to the non-voting craft spirits council so they're not voted in i they may have voted in ted huber but my guess is ted huber was probably appointed by the actual voting members of discus uh which is the people who actually lead it up and make all the decisions but this is their push to get more members of the craft distilling you know 
craft distilling industry to actually become members of their non-voting council. Because again, that really helps their lobbying. It makes them look better. I mean, you could make an argument that is kind of carving into ACSA and ADI's territory. There's some truth to that too, but also Discus is one of the most powerful lobbying forces in the industry. So it kind of benefits to work with them to a certain degree. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Hopefully they can continue to work well with these other groups. Um, we're going to see. Well, I don't know. One, one of the things, one of the things that discus does really well that I think some of the other groups slack on is a lot of these guys are, are using discus help to do export business. Yeah. Um, so discus puts on, you know, shows around the world every year that I know a lot of these guys go to. Yep. So that's probably their, their first sort of step into discus. And then from there, right. Hey, and we and- want to be a bigger part of it and keep growing it right the just to give one quote the uh president and ceo of discus uh chris wonger basically says this new craft uh craft advisory council comprised of leaders in our industry will help us to unite distillers of all sizes to speak with a single powerful voice so again i think their primary goal is to get as many people on board as possible to help with the lobbying efforts especially with fet but also you know gives more traction power to the to discus and like you said one of the benefits is things like export because you're right every year actually might be a couple times a year they do uh trips abroad where people they basically take distillers around the world and take them to some of these markets where they can potentially be exporting product yeah and i I meant no ill intent of like how did they get selected i just was curious as in you know hey we're gonna build this subsect hey we're gonna assign these people to the board right i just like what is the structure because is, we weren't affiliated before, right? Like it just it's new, right? Well, it's, it's it, news. Yes, it it is. Well, they're kind of reinventing it. It was something that already was, you know, it was something that existed prior, but in a much smaller, you know, much smaller version. This is something they're trying to push a little more. Um, my understanding is they're going to hold quarterly calls. They're going to meet twice a year. And the goal is to be aligned with the actual discus board, which is the voting members, which I don't have a list of that in front of me, but you know, that's obviously name a big distillery, any big distillery in there probably on that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Cream fun factory. That's the one. Pernod Ricard, Diageo, they're all members of the actual voting council. So they're the ones with the actual power behind it. But the thing they don't have is numbers and representation in each state. So one of the benefits they get from this is they can now say we've got members in, you know, eventually they'll be able to say in all 50 states. They can't say that with their own voting board. All right. A little bit of TTB news that I actually thought was interesting. Every once in a while in their TTB newsletter, they put out little bits of information, helpful tips for people. And one of the things I saw is that one of the most common problems they see in terms of applications for label approval for colas is they have to send back corrections when the label contains foreign text, but the applicant doesn't supply a translation which is something I hadn't heard before, but it makes sense. So if you happen to have some foreign text on your label, uh, TTB reminds you, send in that translation. I guess I'm, I guess I'm confused on why, why you have foreign texts to be, I mean, you don't need a cola to send things elsewhere. Essentially their big bullet point here is if your label contains foreign text, save yourself time by proactively providing the translation when you submit the application. Maybe that maybe maybe it's for people um who are importing stuff. The, the bottles and then may have it could be text or it, you know i could potentially see people putting some sort of flavor text in a foreign language on their bottle just to make it, you know, if they're going after a specific demographic or they're trying to make it seem a little more foreign fancy. So if that's on there, then you would need to provide a translation as well. I imagine for TTB. So they don't have to look it up or, you know, they're a government agency. They're not going to jump through the hoops for you. We're not going to do work. <laughs> I hope every, everyone who imports Scottish whiskey provides two versions of the label for. Oh, oh, foreign oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What does this grunting mean? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So another one that is not news, but made me chuckle. And I knew you guys would appreciate this. Casamingos Tequila uh, and Mezcal announced their uh, partnership with Omega to release a limited edition Mezcal inspired timepiece. They go for $11,000, $11,600. So 
Yeah, you guys are welcome. Does it pour shots? I imagine it is made out of George Clooney's skin. They essentially just took <laughs> uh, strips of George Clooney and made them into watches. That's the only way I can imagine that would meet up with that <laughs> price point. So uh, I want one. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry to ruin your Christmas presents, you know. <laughs> I don't even uh, wear a watch, but that watch I will wear. But if it's a skin watch. <laughs> it's a skin watch. If it's George Clooney skin it's watch. Skin. <laughs> I got a built-in skin watch, boys. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's my scrotum. Um, <laughs> also known as George Clooney. <laughs> but with more acting skill. Um, so that is insane. Yeah. Why would they do that? But hey, I mean, it, make it, money where you can. And they're only like putting out 80 of them. And if you think about it with Casamingos being, you know, they're known as the billion dollar tequila brand because of the buyout. So I guess it makes sense that any other partnered swag stuff they would put out, why not go ahead and match that expectation? So, and again, you've got us talking about it, which, you know, Free advertising. Free advertising, right? And obviously, is really it, good is advertising this on this plug? podcast. Oh, seriously, I want some George Clooney money right now. <laughs> I rue the day that someone walks up to me like, hey, cool, check out my Casamigos watch. <laughs> I'm like, check out the day that you die. <laughs> Whoa, that was dark, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'll edit that out. Uh, all right. In... Um, <laughs> Industry vendor expansion news, the independent stave company has broken ground on a new cooperage in Moorhead, Kentucky. Uh, essentially, it's a $67 million project located on 35 acres in Rowan County. So that's kind of interesting. That's obviously shows good signs. Is that for them. their fourth, third or fourth? Oh, God, I don't even know. I don't I can't remember either, but I know that it's got to be the one that I heard about. Them yeah. Talking about right. Like, I know they were planning on doing some kind of giant expansion. Yeah. And they told us that Colton, when we went up to them at ADI in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they're just going to own everything. Yeah. And that's, yeah, they already have huge capacity and this is just going to increase that. Uh, the press release indicates that when the Cooperage is fully operational, it'll employ 200 full-time craftsmen to produce high quality barrels for the spirits industry. Also, another piece of vendor information that we did not get paid for. God, Jesus, guys. Between that and Casamingos, I feel like we're leaving all the money on the ground. I think it's on the table. I think the statement is on the table. You know, I thought about that the second it came out of my mouth, but I was going to double down and hope that you guys wouldn't call me on it. Listen, Brian lives on the river now. He doesn't believe in man-made objects like tables. Hey, I don't need to to know the intricacies of words. All words and sayings are made up, man. Jesus. (laughs) Fuck off. Hey, uh, so Colton gave me some news for once, too, and it was fantastic. Colton, do you want to depress us with your uh, Scotch oh, I have news? no no memory of what it was. Oh, Jesus. You just <laughs> I do know, that, like, I I do know that I forwarded you some news. <laughs> He's pregnant. Yeah. That is big news, guys. Is That is. I'm really happy. I mean... Uh, first Arnold Schwarzenegger, now Colton Weinstein. I'm really excited. You're in a good... Wait, group. Arnold's pregnant? Arnold was pregnant like in this like 90s. In the 80s? Was it the 80s? Oh, in that remember. movie. In that movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the movie. Come on. How did you not get a movie reference? I'm very disappointed. I thought you were talking about real life. I thought like Arnold impregnated someone with aggressive sex. That's what I would <laughs> Yeah, you saw that kid who tried to kick him? That kid got pregnant. Yeah, that kid, <laughs> that kid got is pregnant. Now pregnant. <laughs> oh, that's oh, Yeah. That's what happens if you try. That was amazing, though. Did you guys see that video? Oh, he didn't yeah. move at all. Yeah, Arnold was like, Ugh. <laughs> he just like, well, like, what did someone bump into me? Well, and the best <laughs> part is like, he was like, yeah, I'm not going to press charges. I don't care. It's fine. Like he's so he just doesn't even give a shit. Yeah, but you're pregnant now, so jokes on you. Jokes on <laughs> you, Colton. That's what you get for kicking Arnie. <laughs> Uh, oh god this is the best podcast all right so colton sent me an article from like a real news organization i don't know how i feel about well semi-real the guardian scotch on the rocks distillers fear climate crisis will endanger whiskey production 
So yeah, we're, do you we're in a climate crisis. Tell me more. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's a that's science from part thing. of the news. It's part of the. This feels so close to real news. <laughs> I don't know if I feel comfortable actually talking about it. Like I don't know if we're qualified to go into these actual real world things and dilemmas. That's all right. I'm sure our president will take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> now that's patriotic as fuck of you. Good work. <laughs> Yeah, he can make yeah, some no, fucking I... stupid hats in a wall. <laughs> yeah, but that cured climate change. So, uh, well, you were... cured, cured yeah. yes, cured. <laughs> um, so, from what Colton, the article essentially digs into the fact that uh, prolonged heat and longer dry spell means that uh, for Scotland that they are having problems with drought. So essentially they're having access to much less water. They're having heating problems, things like that. Um, I assume there's more issues. I've heard something too. They're actually having shortages in the peat in some areas, which I don't know if they specifically dig into this article. That obviously shows how much research I went into this. Colton sent me an article (laughs) and I skimmed the title. And that was Well, maybe between both of us, we've skimmed the full title. So. That's standard still talking procedure. <laughs> right, right. It, well, uh, yeah, exactly. So I'll go ahead and give you this one jump out quote here. At some point last, at some points last summer, uh, the spay was running 97% lower than its normal minimum. And this winter has not brought enough rain to replenish it. So that is a pretty serious problem in terms of production for the Scottish distilleries. Colton, did you want to add anything else? Yeah, I mean, when I read, well, when I saw the article, <clears throat> my first thought was, well, hasn't climate change been affecting the distilleries always with the silent season in Kentucky? They weren't distilling all summer. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I started skimming more of the article and it was about how their aquifers are running dry, which is much worse. Yeah. It's a big, just being too hot. (laughs) Yeah. So it's more about how it's going to impact production than it is. Yeah efficiency or even crops right like i mean it is yeah sure it's impacting the crops Mm -hmm. but it sounds like it's production long term i mean aquifers being down yeah they're saying by some of these estimates uh some of these basically these kind of extreme heat waves could be happening every other year by 2050 so that's pretty significant problem yeah but by then we'll be by then we'll be growing corn on the moon so moon corn baby moon corn corn. (laughs) god we're gonna make so much money on our moon corn whiskey (laughs) do you think they'll let us call it bourbon if if we can go ahead and like claim the moon for america we can call it bourbon right didn't we claim it when we put a flag on it we did that yeah i'm gonna go with that yep moon corn bourbon it's on its way people (laughs) that is the uh it's the year of moon corn whiskey fuck rum well Moon corn rum. Ooh, ooh, goddamn. Moon corn rum. rum. <laughs> I love that it sounds so space age and yet so hillbilly at the same time. Uh, it's the worst thing I've ever said in my life. All right. Well, uh, that was news. That was me. What else are you guys working on? What have you been doing this last couple of weeks? We've been just sitting waiting for you to get back. Oh, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> That's really sweet, guys. I missed you too. No, like I need the normal instruction of what to do with myself <laughs> from you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got, I got to follow up better on those texts. <laughs> you should have set messages that would, you know, through the week. I really should have pre-programmed some stuff. So you would have got a little message every once in a while. Hey, don't forget to brush your teeth, buddy. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Digital hug. That 130, that 1330 cheese sandwich. (laughs) Don't you think you probably rubbed one out enough times today, buddy? Don't forget to hydrate. (laughs) I'm doing the same old shit, man. Like trying to get my other facility up and running. Serious maintenance because it's so hot. So um, I plot out production. I don't know. I mean, do you do this too, Colton? I don't have a silent season. I don't have a shutdown week. But I specifically, I'm like, I can see my yields drop, so I'm like, I'm going to space out the way I'm doing it. Why are you seeing your yields drop? I mean, you have temperature you have temperature control on everything. That cooling tower is not, oh. it does not work, it does not work the same as it does. It does That's right, it's not hooked up to the chiller too. Now. Okay. So essentially what you're saying is your temperatures get too high on your ferment, and then that's actually killing your, your overall yield. Is that what's happening? 
No, it's not the ferment. The ferment's the ferment's fine. Yeah, because that's ferment's fine. Attached to the glycol chili, those are all jacketed. It's mainly the condensing temperatures that are just, okay. They get too high, and it, it's just hard. And Got it. it's not even about that. It's not even about yield. It's it's not safe to work in there for a long period of time. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It just is so hot. Yeah, we're 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 working on bringing in a, like setting up some sort of with our glycol chiller cooling loop, set up a second coil that a fan basically blows over to have makeshift AC in and a part of our building. Um, but we haven't done that yet, so I tried to bring in just one of those like those NFL sideline fans that just blow cold mist all over you. Those giant fans, those giant, yeah. Like, I brought in fans. one of those and did not, did not think, did not think ahead, and it's like, oh yeah, I can just put this in the middle of the facility and it'll be fine. And you know, the other half is, of is this where the near, narrator cuts super, in? It was not fine. Super, yeah, <laughs> it was not super humid so quick. <laughs> I turned a hot day into a brutally hot, humid day. Wait, are you are you hot or humid in Tennessee? <laughs> Tell me more about that. I live in a goddamn swamp, dude. It's like an armpit here. I don't know how I do it either. I'm way too fat. You have not yet told me a story about New Orleans where I'm like, God, this is a really great move for him. I can't wait to come visit. No. Here's 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 the story I'll tell you about New Orleans that someone told it to me when I got here. They're like, look, there's third world countries with better roads than we have. Uh, we flood. There's crime. It's dirty. It's uncomfortably humid and hot. And despite all that, you wouldn't want to live anywhere else. And to be honest with you, that's kind of the way I feel too. I feel like now I'm like, I'm going to go home or another country. So I'm either going to go to Pittsburgh or another country. And that's it. I'm going to go to New Orleans, Pittsburgh, another right. country. So what you're saying is you're indoctrinated. So They drug you <laughs> into it to education camp, re-education camp, and you need help. This is what you're trying to say. Good. Hey, uh, this is a good uh, chance to plug the fly-in again. Are you still planned on coming next month? Uh, I think it's July 22nd to the ACSA fly-in in DC. Yeah, I got to sign up. I brought that up. So we had a guild meeting good. last night. And and uh, I brought that up to the entire guild. I'm like, hey, look, this is happening. And uh, I, yes, I'm good. planning on doing it. Sign up for that. Listener, sign up for that. Get your ass to DC. Make sure FET is not lost. You could meet us. You can meet us. That's right. We're all going to be there, and it is going to be a delight for you. You're, it's going to be really exciting. Or more importantly, you could avoid us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could be there and snub us. All in they one say thing. never meet your heroes, and you won't have to worry about that because we're no one's hero. <laughs> but we will be there. Yeah. You could meet, you could meet your zeros. You know, it's funny though. So there's an interesting question that, that came up in the guild meeting, and that we were talking about lobbying at the state level, and then at, at the federal level. And one of the guys who isn't operating yet, he's still working on building. He's literally building his building, and he said, "Hey, you know, how much does ADI do for like lobbying? Is that a good organization to be involved in?" And I didn't answer. Uh, other people had answered like that's not kind of the angle from ADI, and I f that was the the summary of what the answer was. And I said, yeah, there's lots of good things that you get from ADI. There's lots of good things that you can get from ACSA. But if you're talking specifically on that topic, and believe ACSA is the most well versed in those, mainly because of Margie too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still of the mindset that <clears throat> one of the best things that ACSA has going for it, besides the fact that it is run by distillers and has a you know an elected board, is Margie Lerman is just a badass. I mean, she comes from a great background. She is just there all the time working her ass off. I mean, if there's some key people to thank for FET passing, you know, guys like Ralph Lorenzo have been working on it forever and just numerous other people who've been putting blood, sweat and tears into it. You know, you've, you've got Mark, you've got Nicole, but Margie's really the one who was able to kind of herd it all together, make 
alliances with discus really get as many people as possible you know the winemakers the brewers everyone to kind of get together and work on that you know the work the politics out and actually make it happen. So I give her huge kudos for that. So ACSA is incredibly lucky to have her. So yeah, I still have a lot of good things to say about, you know, ADI and what they've done for a lot of new guys and what they've done over the years. Uh, they have some good workshops, things like that. But yeah, in terms of lobbying and the actual growing the industry, I, I absolutely have to give it up to ACSA, despite the fact that they got, you know, jackasses like Colton on. That's that's your own. Yeah, I mean, that that is the, uh, you know, the benefits of democracy and the uh, the absolute downfall (laughs) right there is that you can get Colton Weinstein on your board. Well, that's I mean, that's what I kind of interjected. And I said, look, you're going to get different things from each organization. I said, but, you know, as far as lobbying goes, and I actually said Margie is involved in booze law. That was her profession. So. She knows a bit of the ins and outs, and I, it, I, I mean, I've seen it. I don't want to be biased to anything because I'm, t- you know, speaking to this other organization that I'm involved in. And uh, yeah, it, it just it said all the things that I said, Brian. Like, I feel like yeah. I did it justice. Yeah. I'm like, look, yeah, but but I want them to be involved because there's a lot of state level things that we need to do in Louisiana. And believe it or not, we have a huge presence here. That's about to happen with the Sazerac, like whatever the hell Bill is doing right. here. It's like their test still. Um, but, you know, Bill Goldring on Sazerac, right? So Sazerac is a brand everyone knows. And maybe they even know that it's based in Louisiana. But how many spirits are you drinking from right. Louisiana? So, but to have that kind of weight behind you, and I know, Colton, you said it a bunch of times something that really kicked off the Tennessee Guild was the presence of Jack Daniels. Yeah. 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 Having someone with weight behind yeah. you. Well, and, and one thing too, I'll back up a little bit too, on terms of ADI, you know, I think it's fair to say they don't do a lot of lobbying themselves, but I will give them some credit that towards the end of FET, they did throw their back at, you know, the same bills that everyone else was working on. And, you know, they, at their convention, they did have Hick, Hick and Looper. I believe he was the keynote, you know, so, and they've tried to work with Discus over the years too. So I think they're doing their part and throwing their weight behind it as best they can. I mean, they're really, they're a for-profit organization. They're not a nonprofit. So there's some limitations on what they can do, but I think for the most part, as long as they can continue to be supportive, they're doing good work in that regard too. So I definitely don't want to throw, you know, too much shade at ADI for that. It's just the nature of the kind of businesses they are. Yeah, it's a lot harder to walk into a senator or congressman's office and say, hey, I'm a for-profit right. business. And right. I'm representing all the distilleries. Yeah. And on it, last year, I thought they did a really good job. They sent Andrew Faulkner. Uh, at the time, he was with ADI. They sent him as a represent, you know, as a representative with ACSA and Discus. And they were just kind of there in the background being supportive. And I thought that was great. I thought that was a really good tie-in. So if everyone can continue to work in that respect, I think there's still a place that's stable for everyone who wants to kind of work together in terms of all those organizations. You know, I, uh, our guild is just starting. I know we talk about guilds a lot on here. I don't think we and... talk about them enough though. Cause I think that is one of the best things. If you're, st- if you're having trouble in your state doing anything, you yeah. got to have a guild together. Or yeah. You're not going to get, and you have to work together. Don't try to don't try to do one one distillery alone. Yeah, think about what your common yep. goals and interests are, and yeah. work on those. And look at other states and say, this is what worked for them. This is how much goddamn money the states bring in because their state government was supporting, you know, tourism. You know, well, and a state guild will be, you know, the first gatekeeper for you in terms of not only the knowledge and communicating with things like tourism boards, but there are states that can, you know, sometimes backslide in terms of taxes and regulations. And if you don't have a good state guild to kind of help protect against that, you're screwed because you don't know what's going on, you know, in those state capitals. So you've got to be real careful. And together yeah. as a group, you can, even if you don't hire a lobbyist, which the second you can, you know, my suggestion is always once a state guild is big enough, try and hire someone who can be your executive director or some similar role, even if it's part time, they will do yeah. so much more work than volunteers will. That's just the nature of it. And then after that, try and hire a lobbyist. Those are the two first uh, investments a guild. Can make. And that's 
And that's where the Louisiana guild is at right now. You know, the ED right. is what we're look, we're talking about, right? And 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 then the next logical step, it's like right now, one, we can't afford a lobbyist, and two, we wouldn't know how to execute said lobbyist right. in the best way. What I really need people to understand is like, look, we are all different sizes of distilleries making different things. I think we need to talk about, we need to understand that we are are one. Right now, I'm like a fucking Joan Jet. Yeah, you're one. You're not with the breweries. You're not with yeah. the wineries when it comes to the state. It's yeah. I mean, you should be fighting set. for parity of those things, right? Like, I mean, how many times on the fucking yeah. news section do we talk about? Oh yeah, try to get it to parity. Well, and don't forget too, beer. it's counterintuitive too. Like, it sounds really good when you're trying to lobby for some of those for some of that parity the actual regulators don't give a shit about parity. If you go in there and you kind of shake your fist and say, this needs to be fair, balanced, and we got to work on parity, they're going to laugh you out of the room. They don't care. You've got to look at it more as job creation, agriculture, you know, and that's where lobbyists and experts can kind of help you with that. We just did a story on the Oregon state lobbyist and they were running into some of those problems too, where they were basically before lobbyists, they were trying to fight for parity and no one, none of the state politicians cared about parity. That's just a word that doesn't matter. And even on the FET side, you know, when ACSA and Discus was pushing, they were kind of, kind of angling towards the parity, you know, strategy and it doesn't work. You have to go more for job creation. You have to go more for agriculture. You know, some of those buzzier, you know, words and, you know, things that make people feel warm and fuzzy. Parody is not something that grabs people's attention, which is counterintuitive because to us, it sounds great. Well, and then, and you're going to run into those bumps too. It's like what we're having. So I think we're like 14 months old as this guild. And, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, do we get tax breaks on using raw materials from the state? Well, as me who makes vodka, it's not that helpful. Doesn't, really help, <laughs> doesn't help me. I mean, I'm also going to make rum yeah. where that absolutely helps me, right? Um, I think that one of the things like you have, you know, you have Brown Foreman or Jack Daniels. What what really recently just joined us is Bayou Rum, and. I really like the people from Bayou Rum that I've met and you know, they're stoli, stoli vodka. So there's the bigger acquisition brands and the bigger companies that are getting more involved on a state level too. And I think we need to really leverage that. Yeah. But, now- but not every state has a big brand in it. I would say what the thing to do would be to look at the states that do like Tennessee and Kentucky and, in Louisiana and see how they're setting up their guilds and what's working for them and then set it up the same way. Like, yes, we had Jack Daniels, which is helpful, but the best thing we did was initially hire a executive director. That was a lobbyist. She was our part-time executive director. That was a full-time lobbyist for other things, but knew everyone in the Capitol and knew how to get shit done. But what does something like that cost? Tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I mean uh, the one the 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 one that we hired did it initially for basically nothing because she saw long term that this right. she was working her way into a job, right? Yeah, I mean, and she she already had a job, but it's it's definitely a oh hey these guys they have a long term plan and it's a good plan and it's really not That's that great. hard. I'll I'll do this. I mean, I just, the, the importance of it and the impact that we can have by bending someone's ear. I, I hate how mm-hmm. powerful that can be because it shouldn't have to be that, right? It should be like, hey, just do the right thing. But you know what I consider the right thing? I'm sure there's a lot of politicians that don't. So, well, yeah, and we're both fighting in the South that has ridiculous laws. Right. You got the old blue law. The 30s still. Yeah. Like, yeah, basically politicians yeah. from the thirties too. So. I'm surprised women can exist here, um, yeah. uh, or black people for that matter. Oh, you just had to go that extra mile. That there's the cold opening. See now that now that he edits, he's allowed to have free reign on whatever he says. 
<laughs> he really can. He can. He, he, you know, assuming that he puts out the edit. No, I won't. I won't edit any of that shit out because that's how pissed I am at the fucking South right now, including my home state. Right. Yeah, it's kind of rough, man. And this is coming from three white dudes on podcasts, so that's right. a lot. It, it just, I don't know, the whole. Heart if there's anyone you need to hear from, it's three white dudes on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I know for sure at least two of us are straight. Maybe. <laughs> Who is it? That's the that's the question. That's the final the question. thought of the week. It's a real Black Mirror situation. You got to think about it. <laughs> it's like an interactive Black Mirror episode. Pick the Gaylord. Uh, hey, wait. Is the new Black Mirror season out? Because I really want to watch that. We're all over on this podcast, but I don't care. Is is that one out? I heard a review out. of it today. So. <laughs> Rob is going to hate this episode. Yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. These are my favorite episodes to do just because I know there's Rob cringing and like getting ready to text us like this in the future. Us is going to get a text from Rob like, God, I hate you guys. Yeah, that's still a good episode. And honestly, yeah, it's just fun to catch up with you guys. And it's nice to talk about those things like, I mean, the guild meeting I had last night, because I mean that, you know, where the Tennessee guild is. I hope that the Louisiana guild gets there. Well, and Colton brings up a good point too. like, depending on like the players in that state. So Tennessee is kind of lucky in that it has, you know, has some bigger players, right? So you can potentially get some money from them and some contacts to get a good lobbyist. But if you have a state that doesn't have big players, then you've got to basically do like a tasting event first, just to make enough money to start getting that ED, which then hopefully they'll pay for their own position by increasing revenues in certain ways. So that's, you know, you've got to go different directions depending on what's going on with your state. And if you only have three distilleries, then you're just going to have to limp along and just set up the framework and hope that it builds out a around you well what do the mckees do like what is montana like? just a free-for-all because <laughs> i mean courtney is adamant about fucking the fly-in because i was trying to get her and john down yeah. here for tails montana's actually and they're very lucky too that they do have the mckees because they've really helped throw a lot of weight behind it um obviously there's a lot of really good people in montana i think god i forget what their number is they're between 20 and 30 distilleries in their guilds, I believe. I could be wrong on that number now. It may have grown beyond that. But they have they have an ED. They have someone who kind of runs the marketing and kind of runs the administration. And then you've got the McKees who are definitely, you know, pit bulls in terms of protecting, you know, distilling in that state. Just recently, and we'll have to get Courtney to talk about this a little more, but they had an issue where there was some, I believe there was a proposed law in the books that was going to have all distillers have to basically reveal their formulas and things like that and put it on open record. And it was, it was weird and it was not something that anyone wanted to see set as a precedent. So the McKees, you know, head frame, I should say, essentially helped funded that to make sure that basically showed that legally they couldn't do that as a state. So that was fantastic. So you've got, States like Montana that have individual members that are really throwing a lot of effort behind it, which I think is important, especially for, you know, early states, early state guilds. But the guild itself does have some really good members that, you know, work really hard to, you know, it's a big state and it's got a smaller population. So they have to work together pretty closely to hopefully get some of those laws changed that help them. Well, and that's one of the situations where I think, you know, promoting tourism and, and that type of thing you can really get senators on board with helping yep. helping with laws and money and whatever you need <clears throat> you know it's, it's a growing industry recession or not it's been growing and yep those are numbers that you know there's no study out there that says it's not growing so well it and one of the nice things about Montana too is like a lot of those guild members, because they're entrepreneurs, because they're business people, they're involved in their local politics. And because Montana is one of those states that you can go and talk to the governor if you want, or you can go and, you know, deal with the state senators, they're able to actually build a relationship with their higher up politicians that a lot of other states can't. So that benefits too. So if you're in one of those states, you know, get out there, go make a call to the governor's office, go set up a meeting to have them come out to your facility. You know, and I know the McKee specifically have done that. And I know a lot of the other guild members in Montana have done similar work so that the actual politicians are very aware of that industry. And they're a bit more 
I won't say protective necessarily, but they're a lot more open to the dialogue, which is really, really helpful. I think what we mainly whittled out is that every fucking state is different, right? And like from place to place, you got to find out what works for, for you and talk to as many people that you know from other states and how their guild, what failed them. And like you guys telling me, yeah, the executive director, then the lobbyist and like that natural progression. And I'm hearing that naturally happen with Louisiana Distillers Guild. Those things, if you can get a jump on any of that, it's great. But mainly we're all, here we are talking about it. We're all living in three very different states and we're talking about the same fucking things, right? So we all need to be collectively together and there's a lot to learn from each other. So, I mean, open the lines of communication, but we can't give you any, not that we give you any advice that's any of any value (laughs) at any point, but right (laughs) That's okay. We can get people who actually know what the hell they're talking about on the podcast. Right, but so. yeah. Well, I mean, you're like, you're telling me about- Yeah, but we won't release those episodes. Yeah. No, those are just for us. Yeah, because yeah, what do we do with them? Clearly not have success. Um, uh, no, but like, even you're telling me about the, the dynamic of Montana. I didn't know that, right? So it just, it's, it's completely different everywhere you go. I know a little bit yeah. about Oregon. I know a little bit about Tennessee- I know a decent amount about Kentucky and now in Louisiana. Well, Kentucky is, is its own thing, right? The KDA is one of the oldest guilds in America, I think. If if I remember right, the KDA is the oldest distilled uh, distilled spirits group or association in the country. Like, they actually predate Discus. Or I could have just completely made that up. You don't know. You're not going to fucking check it. You know how much involvement I had in that? Uh when I was at Neem? Uh, one? Negative four. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he didn't put a unit in that. <laughs> I mean, he did one put a unit. All right, all right Brian. Brian. One, unit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one unit. One unit. One unit of involvement. Yeah. How many units is a uh, full unit of involvement? <laughs> yep, exactly. 37. <laughs> yeah. Oh god! Uh, yeah, but right, right. that's a metric. <laughs> well, the final thought has changed a lot since I've been gone. Yeah, it gets final thought. It got like all high pitchy and predatory. Um, <laughs> did it? Did it really? I don't know. Don't let me grunt shame you, man. You do you. I, I love you either way. Let me do another final thoughts grunt. <sighs> That felt more erotic and uh, more accurate. Thank you. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very upset at how much you guys enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. Final thought. I need to get off this right now and go do something else. <laughs> nope. Nope. You guys stay on. But I can't do it without Brian's instructions. Yeah. <laughs> the text is forthcoming. <laughs> A lot of things are forthcoming. All right. Yep. That's what I was waiting for. Yep. Man, I set it up and you yeah there you go um state guilds that's my final thought i agree they're important be part of them start one join one be a guild form a new state just so you can have a new state guild god that is the greatest (laughs) thing you've ever said colton yes i'm so on board uh, we talked about so many things on this episode and yet so little i (laughs) I don't know what to put my final thought upon. Um, go to the FET fly-in. Uh, so Mark Schilling doesn't castrate the Still Talking podcast. Yep. My final thought is uh, none of the things we talked about, but uh, speaking of Mark Schilling, uh, him and Nicole did a webinar today about the TTP proposed rules. Uh, you can go find it on the ACSA website, I believe, but it was mostly about we need to come up with a set of specific wants and you know desires that we have for the TTB, and they will work with us. Um, oh, I'm going to send them a very comprehensive list of my <laughs> wants and desires. Yeah, I TTB. figured. <laughs> yep. Actually, that's very important. And, you know, I make jokes. I barely know Mark, 
and you guys interviewed him. I didn't even talk to him, but I love how Adam and he's like, you guys don't talk about FET enough. <laughs> and look at us now. <laughs> look at us now. <laughs> so now I'm like, thanks, Mark, for that built-in joke on my shitty podcast. <laughs> Um, but no, that's a really good point because that came up in our guild meeting too. It's like uh, all the TTB stuff that we can... yeah, because it's coming. The uh, I think the end of the month is the end of the uh, comment period. So if you don't if you don't get your wants and needs in there or your instructions, and by the t- what, they won't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. Yep. And by now. and by the time I edit this, you're gonna have like three days. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, when Colton says there was a webinar today, that was 14 that's weeks ago. <laughs> but you should still go look at really old websites. Um, yes, like uh, what's like one of the first websites you guys visited? Bacon that's cheese. a good final thought. E bombs world. E bombs world. That's a good one. Yes. Rotten, rotten.com. I hate to admit it. Ooh. Ew. Yeah, right. I did. Someone Yeah, not surprising, even a little bit. Someone showed it to me. It was weird. Um yep. it was a family member. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So much said. And it sentence. wasn't a website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Find us on some sort of social media and tell us positive things. Our egos can only handle that. Oh yeah, we don't do that very often. You can find us on uh, Analog Clocks. <laughs> you can find us on Casamigos watches. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you buy all eighty and put them together, you'll yeah. find a secret code from the Still Talking podcast. Yeah, it's a Voltron of Still Talking. <laughs> yep, yep. It'll actually turn into Colton, and he'll mock you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, fly into DC. Hey, thanks. Uh, uh, High proof creative. Yeah. Thank you, High Proof Creative. You guys are fantastic. And you know the internet so much better than us. If you need someone to figure out where you should go to get good reviews and positive feedback, they're the ones that can tell you, not us. Yeah. I, I love how you turned my like very forced bit ad <laughs> into something that was legit. So thanks, Brian. Yep. It's good to have you back. I still prefer Rob, but I love you. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Rob. And I'm on board with that. <laughs> Love you, dummies. All right, guys.